All right, welcome to Talk Jiu-Jitsu with host Uki Mike, Joey Bereski, and me, Jordan Pressinger from Jordan Teaches Jiu-Jitsu. Today we have a great episode for you guys, and uh, what we're going to cover is uh, someone on Reddit, they asked a question, they said, what's a small hack you've discovered that's improved your game significantly lately? And uh, some of the answers are pretty interesting because there's a lot of like concepts and uh, other types of things that are upvoted that I don't necessarily agree with. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about and uh, get your guys' insight on it as well. So someone is saying, um, this this had 566 upvotes, so a lot of people agreed with them. And they said, when someone is on top of you, they cannot be heavy with both their chest and their hips at the same time. Uh, for example, if they're pinning you down in side control and being heavy on the chest, you can easily recover guard because they are light on, the, on their hips. If they have... If they're heavy on their hips, you can get an underhook escape because they're light on the chest. Pretty cool stuff that I discovered um, thanks to the coach's teaching and have been playing with it. And uh, yeah, there's some people disagreeing. And uh, what do you think, Joey? I mean, I think there's a point there. I, I wouldn't say you can't be heavy on both, but I think it is like, uh, especially like let's use side control as an example. Unless you have a super wide, long body, it's really difficult for you to have like a super tight cross face and be tight on my hips. You kind of have to pick one. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm super narrow and I can't be high and low, but like it is difficult to control up high and low at the same time, just by function of like to have a good cross face. I need my hips positioned more up towards the armpit where I can get like, you know, my arm around their face. Whereas to really control the hips, I kind of need my bottom knee a little lower closer to the hips. So I think he has a point there in that like most of the time when someone is holding side control, they're going to be cheating one way or another. Uh, very rarely will they have like a perfect spread from top to bottom. They're going to be kind of cheated up high or lower towards your hips. Uh, I don't necessarily like his wording of they can't be heavy on the chest and hips. I think that's incorrect, but I think the idea of the premise is mostly that the, however a person controls you, they're going to kind of cheat one way. And usually the opposite of that is going to be your best avenue for escape. Yeah. See, like, <clears throat> I think that uh, side control is just the nature of it. That if you have your knees on the mat, um, obviously you're not controlling the hips as well in a sense um, because you're, you know, dedicating your, I guess your um, weight to their chest. So that's somewhat true, but like, I prefer side control where my knees are more hovering off the mats and I'm driving into them with my toes. And, um, in that case I'm, can, I'm heavy on their hips and I'm heavy on their chest. And side control is like only one example that can sort of prove their point. But like in mounts, for example, um, if you'd be heavy on the hips and the, and, and the, and the chest. So like that makes no sense to me. And like, there's certain passes too, like tons, tons of passes where you're heavy on the chest and the hips, like the side, the side smash, for example. And, um, also, um, yeah, it, it even just like a smash half guard until you actually go to, uh, you know, knee slide, you should be pretty heavy on the hips and, uh, and the chest, even when you are going like posturing up for the knees for the knee slide, you still need to control the hips. Um, otherwise they're going to get a knee shield, but, there'll be less, I guess, uh, yeah, weight on there. It's more like, um, yeah, yeah. There'd be less weight on there in a sense. Like, I don't think that's a super useful concept or something to go by because there's a lot of situations where it doesn't prove to be true. And what I think is a better concept, which I also teach my Jitsu theory course is, uh, that you either need to control their head or you need to control their hips or both, like both is ideal. And there's so many uh, situations where that's true. Um, like for example, an armbar, you control their head, but if you're not controlling their hips, they they're going to turn into you. But you don't necessarily need to always control their hips, um, like by you know grabbing it. It's like if they start to turn towards you, you can grab their legs, which control which control their hips. But um, yeah, in that situation. But there's like you know a triangle too. Like you you can control the head, like you know their posture by the triangle itself, and you can control their hips by getting, getting an angle and underhooking their leg. And I don't know, I could go over like so many different examples, but like, I think that's a better um, way to visualize and conceptualize it. Like 
yeah, even with passing, like you don't necessarily need to go like chest to chest on people. Um, you can use your head to control people, um, in place of your chest. Like even like your head through like a knee slide, you can put your head on the mat in place of a cross face. It does the same exact job, or you could use your head, like your forehead uh, against their neck framing to keep them pinned. It's like, it's more so about pinning people, um, in top position than it is about specifically your chest pressure. Um, because there's different ways to control, but when you do get to side control, like these dominant positions, like side control amounts, you do, you do need chest pressure. Um, but yeah, I don't see how you're giving up, uh, hip pressure, pressure with your hips in mounts. Like, what do you think Joey for mounts? Like, does that, it doesn't really apply to mounts. I think there is a little bit of a weight distribution. So like, let's say I'm on top and mount and I'm really like driving my hips down into you. Uh, like you only have so much weight and pressure. And if I'm putting my weight more down towards my hips, I have to relieve at least some of my control and pressure up top. Not saying you can't control both. You definitely can. If you've ever been in someone who has a good mount for the listeners, they definitely are controlling the upper body and lower body. But, uh, I always think of it kind of like, uh, you know, like a teeter totter almost. Whereas like when it's flat, you have equal control on both sides, but as you push down on one end, the other end does have to relieve a little bit, uh, unless you're really, really long and have the ability to kind of like arch your back in a different way. But especially for me being like a shorter guy, like if I have mount and I want to just drive into the head, my hips kind of have to come up a tad. Uh, I'm not saying like it completely relieves the pressure. Obviously I still have you controlled down there. My my knees do the work of holding you side to side, but to lean forward, I do have to kind of bring the hips up to lean back. I do have to kind of bring the chest back a little bit. So like, I don't know if it's necessarily like a all or nothing. I think it's more of like a, you know, as one increases, the other will slightly decrease. So like Mike, if someone told you this concept, like how could you utilize it to actually get better? Jiu-Jitsu? Like, would this be helpful for you? Uh, I think it, maybe not for someone who's like really uh, new or advanced or rolling with like really like advanced practitioners. Like if you roll with a good black belt, this is not going to help you at all because a good black belt's not going to overcommit one way or another and give you a glaring way out. But if you're in the like white blue belt level where people will really make mistakes, you know, you put a blue belt in side control and you say, hold this guy, uh, you know, give him a cross face. A lot of the times they're going to really overcommit up to the upper body and leave a lot of space down by the hips. And that does give you a chance to get out. I think this is one of those concepts that definitely works better against lower skilled opponents. Yeah. I don't know. I think the concept honestly is going to make people worse at jiu-jitsu because if like a lower belt is thinking, Oh, I can only put pressure on one part of the body. Um, like, how's that helpful? Cause I don't think that it's even true to begin with because you can, you can vary where you put your weight. You can definitely put on only the hips or only the head or, or the chest, but you can definitely put it on both. Like, um, yeah, I don't see how that's like a helpful concept. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you can, t- how you can take that and be like, now my jujitsu is better because I know I can only put my weight one way. Well, you know I think I mean? it's, I think it's more for the guy on the bottom, uh, knowing that like you can't put a hundred percent of your control on the top and the bottom. You only have a hundred percent to give. You can put 50 uh, on each. I think true. I, I definitely think you can. Um, and that's where, like I said, like good guys, you'll have a really hard time because they're not going to overcommit one way or another. They're going to give you that nice 50, 50. Uh, but from the bottom, especially against like lower skilled practitioners, I see it a lot where guys will go like 85% of their like pressure and control up to the head. And I'll watch white belts, like trying to peel off, like, desperately peel off the cross face i'm like hey man he's not controlling your hips from here at all he's leaning so hard on your head your hips can move and i think that's kind of what they mean by the concept is when you roll with people when they overcommit their weight high or low the way to get out is not to fight the hundred percent commitment of someone's pressure like that's usually a losing battle the way to get out is like hey if he's going to relieve pressure on my hips to put pressure on my head i'm going to use my hips to escape yeah, but I think that kind of proves the concept not true. Like in the sense of, uh, you know, if like if someone is not adequately or controlling both, um, yeah, then you definitely capitalize on where they're not putting their pressure. So it's like this concept is like saying like you can't put pressure equally and you have to put it, um, you know, primarily on one and then they can easily escape. It's just like, 
I don't know. I, I just think that's like such bullshit. It's just like not true to me. I, I can't, I can't see how that's helpful. And, uh, I don't think it's true at all, but, uh, whenever I've rolled with a good pressure player, like Darren will say, he, he evenly distributes his weight and there's no, it, it's perfectly distributed. I can't get out from underneath him. The more I try, I try to, um, be heavier like him and distribute my weight better. Like Joey was saying, not commit to one way or the other. I gotta get better at that. Yeah. 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 Darren's a great example. Yeah. He, he's really good at using his weight. Um, here's another one too. And I hear this from people, uh, often, uh, they said frames are not for pushing They're temporary, they're temporary barriers to square your guard back up. But, uh, that does not make any sense to me because, okay. Uh, half guard, for example, someone's trying to grab my head. I use my short frames. So I use my T-Rex arms to stop him from grabbing my head. It has nothing to do with, um, being temporary or having to create a barrier uh, until I can square up my guard, my, my guard already is, um, like my hips already point towards them unless they want me on my back, like squared, like onto their chest and make, that makes no sense either. And, uh, yeah, what I hear people, they say, uh, frames aren't for pushing, um, which is not true. Like that doesn't make sense because it like the, you're not, you're not pushing like overextending, but you're pushing to create tension. Like if you just have like, if you're not pushing whatsoever, um, you're going to get your frames easily, uh, uh, I don't know, it's like nullified, like they're going to move them out of the way and whatnot. Like you have to put act, uh, active pressure, like same thing with a knee shield. It's not like you're like put, extending them far away with your, with your knee shield, um, like too far, but you're actively um, driving your knee shield into them at times. Or even like, for example, if you're going for an underhook, you can push with your knee shield and then take the underhook to create more space to take that underhook. Like I, or even using frames like uh like for example, like a long frame in um, like a tripod sweep, right? Use your f foot to frame. You're pushing their hips down. It has nothing to do with uh, any, any of the th what they're saying about squaring up your hips and whatnot. Like I don't know what. For, we'll get your take on this one, Mike, and then, then we'll get you, Joey. I, I use I use frames all the time. I actively push against too, so I can scoot out. You know, if I don't, they're gonna just collapse on top of me. I have to actively actively press against them. I use it for defense all the time. Yeah, well, yeah, a good one is like escaping side control. Like you put in your short frame, like your knee, and then you can extend your body away yeah. to get, yeah, to get your, to get your, you know, your uh, upper body away from them and to get your foot out easier. Like you're pushing with your frame to make that happen. Um, Joey, what's your take on this? Yeah, I just think this is like incorrect. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm really not sure. I mean, I don't understand the idea that frames aren't for pushing. Like the whole point of a frame is that it's resisting your pressure. Like if I just have a limp noodle of a frame, it's just going to fall apart the moment you put pressure into it. Like if I have a knee shield and I'm not actively putting pressure with my knee shield, especially if you're trying to come in, it's just going to fold underneath you. Same thing from like, uh, like you said, the TRX arms from maybe a guy's trying to grab my head from half guard. If my arm is just limp, like sitting here and he goes to grab my head, it's just going to move my arm out of the way. I mean, just having a hand in between is not a frame. The frame is the fact that there's, like you said, like an active tension in my body that stops people from coming towards me. Uh, as long as you're not I'll, overextending, right? Yeah, that's the only other thing I'll add is I think you could change this by say you shouldn't be reaching for frames because I see that a lot where guys, you know, bottom half guard again, they see the arm and they reach out to try to grab the other guy's arm to block it. That's not a good frame because you're overextending, you're leaving a hole. I want my frame to be tight and wait for you to come to the frame. But once you come to the frame, it has to have attention into you to be an effective frame. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's like, uh, it's crazy to me that people could argue otherwise. Like, I, I feel like, have they even thought about it? <laughs> like, are they just like writing it stuff? And I don't know. Uh, this is another one, which I do agree with. They said, just stand up, bro. Seriously, cultivating a wrestling game plan has helped my game more than anything else has in years. People I roll with that don't wrestle just fold and accept pulling guard every time. Um, yeah, I think that's totally true. It's like um, you can stand up way more than you realize. Like you don't need to, you know, be in a bad position if you can just stand up. And, uh, you know, we talked about this before. And uh, Derek... Uh, Lewis, heavyweight for UFC, like that, like there was always a joke, just, you know, just stand up, like you don't even need jujitsu, but it's like true. That's a great game plan, especially for someone that doesn't want to be on the ground in MMA. Like that is the game plan is like, get up and you can use that, uh, in your rolling too. Like a great example is like, um, 
turtle. Like you're not specifically like standing up, but you're, you're building a base. Um, and then you can, tr- you know, uh, transition back to your guard or you could always just stand up too. Like that's what I did, um, in that match against Caesar. Um, I, I went to turtle and I stood up right away and then I knee barred him. And, uh, if I didn't just stand up, um, then I wouldn't got that. So like, I a hundred percent think that's a great, uh, concept. Yeah, I agree. Um, someone said I've stopped eating before class seems to help me stay aggressive instead of lackadaisical. Um, yeah, like, I, I can't roll if I don't have, um, if I haven't eaten in the last like couple hours, like, yeah, just not gonna happen. Not gonna have any energy, but like, you don't want to eat too close to judicio either. Um, cause you need to digest your food. So I think that's something that definitely help people. I don't know if you guys like, eat close to class or what you guys do. I like to have something with a little bit of carbs right before class. If I'm not doing keto or something like that, just something quick, uh, like, a you know, like a Nutri-Grain bar or something like that, just so I have a bit of energy, nothing heavy or anything where I'd feel like I was going to vomit during class. Yeah, I eat my dinner at like 3 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I'm at, the, I'm at the gym from like 4.30, 4 o'clock until 8.39 at night. So like if I don't eat before that, what, I'm going to have lunch at noon and then not eat again until 10 at night. And I don't like to eat super late at night. I'm not like a midnight snacker. I don't like going to bed like with a ton of food in me. So like for me, I just eat at like three, I got a couple hours to digest before I go to class. I feel good. I come home and I have a small little like post-training snack, go to bed. Yeah. Like that's definitely the best game plan um, is to have something small before class. If you can Um, just like carbs, which are very fast digesting. Um, But yeah, like me and you, Joey, we're kind of in that position where like we need to, you know, we're going to be at the gym all night. So we need to eat before we go. And, uh, yeah, just kind of on that topic too. Um, just to give every, give everyone an update. Like um, I talked about my stomach issues uh, in the past podcast, and I've finally got my stool results back. And I have really bad um, SIBO, which is like um, small ba- small intestine uh, st- small intestine bacterial overgrowth, which is like when bacteria goes into your small intestine because bacteria is supposed to be in your large intestine, but when it goes to the small intestine, that's when, uh, things are bad. So that's great. Yeah. I have to deal with that. Try to kill the bacteria and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, it's actually what Gordon Ryan had too. He had SIBO and CIFO, which is uh fungus. So he had bacteria and a fungus. Um, and which I hate that I had the same thing as Gordon Ryan, because I just assume people are going to think I'm on steroids because that's, that's where they contribute him to being, um, to having stomach issues. But, uh, there's lots, there's a ton of ways you can get SIBO and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty debilitating. It really sucks. So hopefully that gets fixed. How long is the road to recovery on that? What, what did they say? Oh, it can take a long time to heal. Um, yeah, because I have like methane SIBO, which is harder to treat. Um, but basically I need to get my, my motility up in my small intestines. So just, yeah, I, we're kind of going off of topic from jujitsu, but I'll give you guys a breakdown on how, uh, how things work in terms of digestion. So you eat something, it goes through your esophagus into your, um, into your stomach, which it breaks down the food with acid and kills bacteria and whatnot. It gets it ready for the small intestine and the small intestine. That's where your body absorbs nutrients. So, um, it like, which is a good thing. And then it goes to the large intestines where it starts breaking it down, turning into poop, like taking the moisture out and whatnot. And in your small intestines, you have a, like, you have like a, like it's moving. So like, it has like cycles where it like cleans itself. And, uh, it's a, it's an environment where bacteria can't live if your motility is, is, is adequate. So like it's, it's, um, it's bringing the food down quickly, but if it's slow, then bacteria is like, I can live in here because it's, um, it, it's like slow moving. Let's live up here. It's great. The food's better here because it's less processed. And then there's bacteria in your small intestine that's being absorbed into your body. Like not just the bacteria, like the byproduct of it, like the byproduct, like they're eating your food and then the byproducts getting absorbed into your body, which makes you feel sick and have all these stomach issues. So, um, people, they get like a really common way to get SIBO is, to, is from food poisoning because it slows down your motility. And then, um, yeah, then the bacteria um, goes up in there where it shouldn't be. And everyone has back, like bacteria in their body. We have more bacteria in our body than we do human uh, cells, but it's just not supposed to be in the small intestine. So um, I need to get rid of it from my small intestine and then um, 
yeah, and then, you know, as I also improve my motility. Um, so yeah, I got to figure that out. You've had that for a while though. Right? You've had stomach issues for a while now. Yeah, a long time. And uh, yeah, it just like drains all my energy, makes me uh, feel crappy and uh, all sorts of issues. So yeah, that's why Gordon Ryan couldn't compete for a while because he was dealing with that. But he took so many, um, what's it called? Uh, antibiotics, which yeah. are like, um, it just kills all the bacteria and just creates like a imbalance of, like your, uh, of, of the bacteria. And then combined with like slow motility, it gets up in there and it's, uh, it's no good. So yeah, I don't know. Like I recommend everyone, um, don't do things that slow down your motility, which are, there's a lot of things, uh, people do like eating like snacks all the time, snacking all the time, your body, like your small intestines don't have a chance to, uh, clean them, like do the cleaning process, like, um, because they're, they're working the whole time. So eating at night's not a great idea either, because that's the time where your, your small intestines are, um, cleaning the most and having those cycles of like, of a cleaning and moving so much. So like when you hear your, uh, like your stomach, like moving, that's like a good thing. And people with SIBO, they don't really hear that as much because their stomach isn't really moving. And again, creating great environment for bacteria to, uh, to be in. And this is another interesting fact. Um, it's like 20% of people have IBS, 20% of people in the world have IBS and 75% of people that have IBS, like it's SIBO, what they actually have, like IBS is a symptom. And then it's, like a symptom of different things and 75% of that is SIBO. So a lot of people have SIBO. So people are shit on Gord Ryan, like, you know, you the steroids, this is why you have SIBO, but like so many people have it. Um, so 75% of 20, um, is 15. So like, I guess, yeah, 15% of the people in the world have SIBO. So, yeah. So intermittent fasting would be good. So you could, your body, you had time to digest and get rid of that. Yeah, it's good because it gives your small intestines a break, but, um, and it kind of starves the bacteria, but, they need like a long time till they die. So like, unless you like don't eat, um, forever, like, yeah, you basically had to kill them with the like, antibiotics or antimicrobials. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my SIBO spiel. I hope I educated everyone. I I'm learning a lot about how the potty works. Um, while I figure out how to figure, how to, um, improve my health because yeah, it's, oh yeah. One thing is really interesting too. Um, in, in Vietnam, I got, um, what's it called? Uh, can, but it's like candida on the skin. So candida is a, is a fungus and I had it on the, on my skin and my armpits. And, uh, it was awful. It, it was, it was like burning. It was, it was like terrible. It's not contagious because we all have like, uh, like candida on us. Like it's a very normal thing, but it's when it overgrows, that's when it's an issue because it was so uh, hot and, and, uh, humid in Vietnam. And I was like in my rash guard for long periods of time teaching, private lessons and whatnot. Yeah. I got this like candida overgrowth of my skin. So it was like, what the hell, you know, I got food poisoning in uh, Trinidad Tobago and I get a uh, fungus infection in Vietnam. It's like, I just can't catch a break. I feel like you hurt your knee in Australia. Yeah. And I hurt my knee in Australia. I hurt my knee in Vietnam too, but I was hoping that uh, it was like mostly better by the time I got uh, to Australia, but not better enough because it's like, it feels like the bones are slipping when it happens. And it's more like, it's more like an acute injury when it happens and it just keeps happening where this, um, where it just like, it feels like my bones come out of place, um, when I step really hard on it. So it like heals within like a week or two, but like when it first happens, it's very painful and I can't like, uh, move it too well. But, um, at least it's not like a lingering injury. It's just like, it's like an acute injury every time and just keeps happening. So I might need surgery. You should get so, that yeah. looked at for sure. Yeah, like definitely. you should definitely get that fixed. Yeah. Yeah. I probably need meniscus surgery because I'm pretty sure it's my meniscus. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure, but just like, I don't think it's my ligaments because I feel pretty good stability in them. Um, other than when that happens, like, uh, yeah, it sucks. But anyways, now back on topic. <laughs> so, uh, this person says, honestly, intentionally rolling as lazy as possible. It started due to an injury and just started flowing with people I trusted. When I started branch, branching out to rolling with everyone again and hitting subs without increasing my tempo slash strength, I felt like I unlocked some slow motion character mode. And yeah, I agree 100%. Like I roll lazy often. One reason is because I never have energy uh, because I have SIBO, and, which is really frustrating. Um, but I can use that time where I'm just feeling like complete garbage um, just to roll defensively. So that's what I did today. Like... Um, I did, I did, um, uh, yeah, just like roll with some lower belts and just let them work. 
and it was just interesting, you know, seeing their attacks and seeing what they're trying to do and where they're messing up and whatnot, like not controlling this, not controlling that so well. And um, yeah, I think that really improves people's jujitsu because like my defense sucked for a long time because I only focused on offense. And then when I started, you know, being like rolling lazy and whatnot and letting people work more so and putting myself in bad positions, that's when I really uh, got good defense. And now I feel very uh, confident in my defense because I've rolled so many rounds lazy. So uh, I recommend people do that. I do that all the time. Uh, I had to because I had so many injuries. I couldn't be explosive or athletic, so I had to roll kind of lazy. And some days I'm just lazy. And that made my defense very, very good because I'd get myself in shitty positions all the time. And yeah, that helped me immensely. Yeah, it teaches you how to relax too. Like I was teaching triangle defense last night and I made it a really uh, important point that like you should be comfortable in a triangle because if you start freaking out, that's when um, you start making mistakes and they start capitalizing on them. But if you if you know what to do to defend and you just stay comfortable, like you can like stack them, not overstack because I hate overstacking, but stack them so they can't uh, lock it up better and finish. Um yeah, you can just hang out there for a long time and just feel comfortable. And when they go to transition or or they go to address their triangle, you can just pull your arm out pretty easy. So it's like if someone puts me in a triangle now, I feel very relaxed where like back in the day, um, he even like when I was like a brown belt, I was not relaxed. I'd be like, oh, shit, I got to like explode out of here because like I do not, you know, I don't feel comfortable in here. Another good example of that is heel hooks. When I started uh, being heel hooked, I would freak out. Somebody touched my foot, I would tap almost immediately. They didn't even have anything on me. But now I'm more comfortable and relaxed and I can chill a bit and then I can work my way out of it. But when before, I'd just freak out. It's amazing how many submissions especially uh, you can get out of if you just stay calm. Like just stay relaxed, you know, slowly figure your way out. Very few submissions are like, you know, instant danger you usually have a little bit of time like especially if you're doing good defensive jujitsu you've got the right things you know you're getting triangled you're making sure you have your posture you're you know doing the right stuff like you have time stay calm when you start panicking that's when you make really dumb mistakes i agree like rolling lazy definitely has its uh values but i do think there is value in uh having a mix uh so like i try and roll like pretty relaxed and calm most of the time and then i like to have like 25 percent of my training be rolling you know with a an intensity not necessarily like aggressively but like with energy with intention uh you got to know your audience too like i have a couple members who like we like to roll they like to roll hard uh we got one guy who runs our wrestling class who like he's always a hard round we it's nothing but a hundred percent but those kind of rounds are good to build up the extra skills of like how do you scramble you know uh i think when it comes to like rolling lazy and relaxed, the biggest issue is it doesn't really develop like strong scrambling skills necessarily. Um, so like it is important to supplement, like if you just roll lazy a hundred percent of the time, there are definitely going to be areas of your game that get underdeveloped. So like finding that right balance where, you know, you can do both. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. You definitely can't rely on only one and uh, either one. But I think when it comes to scrambling, I think that, it does help to roll lazy too, because then you can put yourself in positions that are like bad, but like, um, and you can still like transition somewhat quickly, but like making sure that you're keeping everything tight so they can't get grips. Like, uh, like my opinion of well, what I think a scramble is, it's a position where, or I guess a, a moment where neither person has dominant grips on the other person to control them. And then they're both looking for grips that control each other. So um, where it creates this like, scramble um until someone gets those grips and uh if you just get comfortable denying these grips and just staying tight and just relaxed um it can really improve your scramble ability too but if you only were to do that then your scrambles would definitely uh, be lacking like you need that speed too so like both is like very helpful for sure so um let's see this this is an interesting one they said when when you've mounted your opponent, if you lift up on their head, they can't bridge. What do you think, Joey? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, to bridge, I need to be able to put my weight on my shoulders. And if my chin is being jammed forward to my chest, it's really hard for me to put my weight on my shoulders. It's going to feel like shit and probably neck crank me. I mean, it's difficult. 
I don't know if I would necessarily say like just lift the head, but like if you can get it like my weight so that I can't actually put weight on my shoulders, then yeah, I, I can't bridge. Yeah. Which is control the head, right? Like I feel like they are somewhat right, but they miss the mark. It's not so much lifting up on the head. It's uh, controlling the head, not letting it turn. And you can do that using, um, a deep cross face where you have your bicep on their, uh, on their face, or you can use your forearm where it's more of a shallow cross face and they both work great. Like if you can't get a deep cross face and they're like, just say they're really turned on their side, right? You can't get a deep cross face because you don't have, you don't have the angle, but you can put in a shallow cross face and start, uh, like walking your hand or moving your hand, um, more like away from the direction that they're trying to turn. And then it's, it's puts them on their back. So like 100%, you need to control the head. Um, so they can't bridge and they can't do, escape. But like lifting up on the head, I don't know why they'd say that specifically. It's like, you know, control the head so it can't turn. I, I have done that technique where it's almost like a Muay Thai plum where I would do that when I was in Mount, when uh, Brown Belt Beast there, Alex would let me start in Mount. And it would, you know, stop him from being able to buck me off of him at first. But I mean, good people are going to find their way out of that. Just grab mm-hmm. if you just grab their head. Yeah, exactly. So this person says you must have all inside positioning. So like, Uh I'll tackle this one first. Um, So like, yeah, you definitely, that's the goal is to take inside position and take it with every limb possible. Uh, But not every moment in Jiu-Jitsu do you want inside position with every limb. So for example, like if you're sweeping someone, you can go to the outside, take outside position to block their post. Um, but if you went inside, you wouldn't be able to block their post. Like just say you have an underhook with one arm. If you take from the bottom, if you need to take another underhook, well, how are you going to block their post, right? That other arm should go to outside position and same with a lot of takedowns like trips and whatnot, or even like when you're passing the guard, um, like you don't want both, both legs on the inside. Like, like if you're inside close guard, for example, both your legs are on the inside. So you want one leg on the outside because you're passing to the outside um, to take inside position, but like you're still passing to the outside in many cases, not all. Um, so like as a blanket statement, I think that it's uh, not quite true. It's kind of mis, uh, misleading, but like definitely the goal is to take more and more inside position, like for jujitsu, like until you have so much inside position that uh, they, they can't do anything to get out. So yeah, but it's not like, um, yeah, there's like, you got to know when to take it and when to uh, take outside position. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely like to say always all inside all the time is definitely an oversimplification. Uh, I, I like to tell my students like inside position is usually the correct thing to have. But there are times when outside position can be more valuable. Like you said, like blocking a post, you know, I roll with someone the other day and they're in my close guard. I don't play a lot of close guard, so I open it uh, and they go for an underhook to hold me down because it's inside position. And well, now your arm is trapped. You have no base. You're getting swept. The inside position in that case was not good. You didn't need it. You had to deal with some other problems before you went for that inside position. You tried to skip some steps and it doesn't work. Uh, Inside position is a fantastic concept, but you have to understand how it's meant to be used and when it's meant to be used like anything any tool uh, if you use it at the wrong time it's going to get you in trouble or if you don't understand how it's meant to be used you can get into trouble against people who are smart and understand you know how can i get away with giving up some inside position maybe to bait what i really want and like uh, a good example is like um in standing you know an underhook is good an underhook is inside position but most of the large, like high volume, high amplitude uh, takedowns in wrestling come from overhooks. Uh, but I'd argue, well, an overhook is inside position as well, right? Yeah, but the underhook is inside position. So if you just mindlessly go for your inside position and don't understand yeah. that you can be countered by the overhook, like you have to be aware when you go for these things that there are counters. It's inside position is fantastic, but it's not. Uh, as simple as I like to think some people try to make it be where it's like, I got an inside position, I win the match. Like, no, there's more that has to be done. You have to be intelligent with it. And that's something I think like your theory course really does is you emphasize the inside position, but how to use it? Like, what is it doing? Is it just, do I just have an underhook for the sake of having an underhook or is it purposeful? Is it solving a problem? 
Exactly. And that actually, that's a perfect example uh, to lead us into the next uh, statement. Someone said, the power of the underhook. After protecting your neck, you should always be fighting for an underhook. Shrimping is key to for guard retention. Using straight skeletal frames rather than bent limbs. Perfect position least. Oh, sorry. This is the other things they were saying. But yeah, the, the one statement they're saying the power of the underhook. After protecting your head, neck, you should always be fighting for an underhook. That's not necessarily true. Like definitely underhooks are great. And uh, the, in more in most cases, um, they're a good idea more often than not. But like I give people underhooks all the time because I want the overhook and they just like, oh, an underhook. And and like I'm like, yeah, oh, an, an overhook. Thank you. So like like from half guard, for example. Um, yeah, like I can, I'll let people over uh, underhook all the time. So I want the overhook as long as I don't let them grab my head. Um, that overhooks can be powerful. So like. Mm-hmm. If someone thinks a blank, blanket statement, always take underhooks, um, yeah, they're going to screw themselves because not only the overhook, but um, as a grip itself, but they, there's also submissions um, you can do or even like, you know, yeah, th- 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 there's so many examples of why someone wouldn't want to overhook, uh, sorry, underhook that this would be a misleading statement. Well, I've been guillotined by you many times by taking an overhook or an underhook that you've left open for me to take, yeah. baiting me. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. I mean, the classic one to me is like uh, the Darstroke from half guard if you have not a fantastic underhook or you're loose and a person savvy on top like you will get darst choked i used to get darst choked all the time because i always thought it had to be underhook all the time and i would just reach for whatever underhook i could get even if it wasn't in a good position to get a deep tight underhook and i just get darst choked and i couldn't figure out why i was getting darst choked and i used to think that this move was just like the ultimate technique i was like there is no move better than a darst choke because i can't figure out why i can't defend it and eventually i kind of realized like i was just taking bad underhooks at the wrong time in the wrong spot and it was causing me to get darst choked yeah exactly so like man it's it's just so interesting reading these there's a lot of nuance in between you know yeah because that's the thing sometimes people criticize like concepts of like um you know they're not true 100 percent of the time but some concepts are true 100 percent of the time and uh the ones that aren't aren't great concepts so like yeah the good ones are true all the time the bad ones because <laughs> they're not real concepts they're just bullshit um yeah so let's see the next one. Um, T-Rex arms and denying the underhook. So this person probably watches my channel because I feel like I uh, popularized that like term of T-Rex arms. Like I didn't create it, but like I think at least I popularized it. But um, yeah, like this, see, that's the same thing. They're saying denying the underhook. And it's like, yeah, a lot of times that's a good idea. Um, it, like many cases, but you don't always need to deny it if you want to, if you're going to use it against them. It's more about you need to know uh, when it's a good idea to give someone an, under, an underhook and when it's a good time to prevent it. Like if you're knee sliding, yeah, don't let them get the underhook. They deny the underhook at all costs. But like uh, if you're in your guard or like standing, even you want to use your overhook against somebody, yeah, let them get an underhook. Like don't, don't deny them if, uh, if you could use it against them. Yeah, I think, uh, for this one, denying the other person's underhook is very rarely the wrong thing to do, but it can often not be the optimal thing to do. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, but I'll try and explain it a little better. So like, if I'm not letting you have underhooks, that's very rarely going to be like an outright mistake to not give you the underhook. I'll be fine by not giving up the underhook, but sometimes giving up the underhook can give you more or more benefit. So it can be a better strategy, but it's one of those things I like to tell people like not giving up the, if you don't know what to do from a position, make sure the other person doesn't have an underhook. Like if you're on the bottom anywhere and you're really like, I do not know what I should be doing right now. Don't let them have an underhook. But as you get better and, you know, more tactically sound and maybe you're uh you've got more submissions in your arsenal more counters now you can start to stray away from that ideology of like just don't ever give up underhooks and maybe like i'm gonna strategically give one up now to go for more reward as opposed to just negating everything i think that's a great point yeah i think like as you're you know more of a beginner in jiu-jitsu definitely just like deny underhooks like you you can use that as like uh something to live by really for a while until you start figuring out oh this this actually might be a great time to give someone one because like it can be hard to take an underhook um against someone that's relatively good um but so like 
it, it can be just wiser and path of least resistance just just to let them have one so you can take an overhook because that's an easy grip to get because they're coming right into it so instead of fighting for an underhook you let them have it you take your overhook so yeah i think it's definitely like nuanced um but again it, it's because this isn't really a concept um because there's truths and to it but there's also like um i don't know false i don't know what the word would be mm -hmm. yeah yeah you know what i mean so anyways um let me see this is a good one my favorite tip is always get your weight off the ground it has to go somewhere preferably onto your opponent so that's true a lot of times in most cases 100 like um where people go wrong so much is putting their knees on the mat and if your knees are on the mat it means that your weight is on the mat rather than all your weight on your opponents so like um just like last night was a great example i was teaching how to stack in the triangle you want to be on your toes driving into them if you're on your knees uh for the stack then your weight is on your knees not your opponent but then you but then the same time like uh for posturing up you need your knees close to your opponent you need them on the mat because if you were to have your knees far away you can't actually posture because you don't have your legs underneath you to support your weight. So like, that's a case you would, be, you would be, you would want to be on your knees. So there's times where you do want to be on your knees and there's times where you don't, I would say the majority of the time you don't want to be on your knees because you want your weight on your opponent In many positions, it looks like you're on your knees, but you're actually hovering on your feet. Like you're sorry, you're hovering off your knees and you're on your feet on your toes driving into them so that's another one where it's like yeah not 100 percent of the time yeah this is definitely another one that's like 90 percent true but 10 percent of the time if you like if you live your life in grappling motto by this like 10 percent of the time you're gonna have a really hard time like for me what instantly came to mind is like if i'm on top in like let's say some sort of open guard and my partner's trying to sweep me i don't want to be necessarily like leaning all of my weight onto my partner uh, like if they're going for like a butterfly sweep and they have butterflies and I'm leaning hard into their butterflies, I'm going for a ride. Probably. I want to be like basing down into the ground as low as I can get. So they can't elevate me. So there are definitely times where like, I want to be as on the ground as I can possibly be. Yeah. It's basically, <clears throat> you want to be all the way forward or all the way back. So like all the way back, your heels are on your butt and you have good base that way right and then when you're going all the way forward um then your weight is more um like on your opponents so like they're kind of like i don't know they're kind of like two different things you're either like all the way engaged or you're like more disengaged um for for your weight like yeah like like close guard would be an example like you can go all the way forward and do more of like uh sao paulo style passes and whatnot or you can be all the way back with your heels on your butt but like it's that in between that's where you get uh that's where you get swept and whatnot so um yeah there's like it's not 100 uh accurate all the time so not really a yeah not really a great uh concept uh, so much i mean it is but like it's just nuanced where again i think concepts should be like 100 percent of the time for the for the most part set in stone yeah, yeah exactly exactly because there's there are many that uh that are true 100 percent of the time like you don't want your opponent's feet on you feet on you or the mat because if they're on you that means they're gripping and if they're on the mat it means they can stand up like there's not really any uh times where that's not true and there's like multiple uh scenarios like that or also like you always want to pin your uh opponents back to the mat like like when you're on top at least like when would you not want to pin their back to the mat if you can't pin their back then um well, actually, no, maybe I shouldn't say that because there's certain submissions where like it helps when they're on their side. So yeah, maybe that's, yeah. I like but, the feet yeah. on the mat. We actually, we played a game in our gym the other day where uh, one partner starts down in an open guard and the top partner's game, they're not allowed to drop to their knees. So you have to say standing, but your only job is to make sure the bottom partner can't stand up. And the bottom partner's job is just to stand up, just find a way up. Uh, and we played a couple variations. And when we played a variation where, but you're not allowed to grab their ankles uh that game gets almost impossible to stop someone from standing if you yeah. can keep someone's feet off the mat man they can't stand they can't build base but as soon as i let your feet touch the mat you're going to be able to build base exactly and like that's an important skill for both people the person that 
is on the bottom, they're going to understand that um, they can just stand up and the person on the top realizes it's important to keep them down. I mean, if they get back up, you're going to have to take them down and waste all this energy, like keep them down. And, you know, yeah, and this and same thing, the, not even just standing up for the person on the bottom, but like wrestling up too, which is standing, but like more of like uh, using offense at the same time. So yeah, these, these things are um, very important and yeah, people don't, uh, people don't do them like these kind of drills enough as, as they should. But um, let me see, let me see the next one. Um, when people are framing to keep you out of side control, switch your hips side to side and they'll collapse. Yeah. It's uh angles beat frames. That's, I think that's the better concept, you know, than like uh, a specific situation where um, yeah, because that's a better concept and and that's true hundred percent of the time angles do beat frames, you know? So that's drilled in my head from you constantly saying it. And it helps me every night. I keep like whenever they have a hard frame on me, I just keep thinking angles will beat it. Angles will beat it. And it does every time it never fails. Yeah. And you can either move yourself in relation to the frame or you can move the frame in relation to you. Yeah. Those two things are true a hundred percent of the time. Like, again, that's what a good concept is. Like there's no nuance there. Yeah, I mean, the uh, whole point of a frame is it's designed to block my my momentum, my progress forward. Uh, just driving into it is not going to help. You have to go around it. And the way you go around it is by making an angle. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, again, the frames, they do push. I don't know what people are talking about. But like, yeah, because someone argued with me. Like I was arguing, I argued with someone a couple months ago about it. And, and like, I'm just like blown away. Like, how could they think you don't push at all with a frame? Like, what are you doing? Just like going limp? Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Um, let's see. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really see any more interesting ones. Um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, okay. No. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. Do we have anything else to talk about? It's been 46 minutes. We can go 14 more minutes. Um, be good. Oh, I, I taught a, uh, a seminar at a camp last weekend. Uh, first time I've ever done that. So it was kind of fun. Uh, I had a really good time. What'd you teach? Uh, so there were four instructors. Like we each had like an hour and a half or something like two in the morning, two in the afternoon style thing. Uh, so I did the absolutely dumb thing of saying, ah, I'll let all the instructor, other guys pick what they want to teach first. And then I'll just like teach something to kind of fill in the gaps of what's left over. And of course the other three instructors all picked all the fun stuff. So I saw in the Nogi, I taught like a, like back control, back attack style class, which is fun. Um, and the Gia taught mount, uh, like top control and mounts so was like side control mounting some finishes from there. And just like a little like sequence. I liked really emphasizing like, you know, why I do what I do. Like not necessarily like, Hey, repeat the motions I'm repeating, but like, this is what I do when I'm in this position and this is why. So if you have other ways of like accomplishing that same goal, you know, all the power to you. Um, yeah, it was fun. It went really well. I think I did well. I'm a little biased, but I think I did a great job. Um, yeah, it was interesting. It's, I definitely have more appreciation for people who teach uh, seminars all the time now, having done it, because it is difficult going to another gym. Like, I'll try and say, I don't know. I don't know if people who don't teach will understand this, but like, I know my room. You know, and I know like Jordan, you know, your room too. Like when I'm teaching and you do the same thing, like every now and then I'll throw in a joke, you know, I'll make a comment and you kind of know the people you teach. And like, I know what jokes are going to hit in my room and what ones aren't. Um, but when you're at like a seminar and it's a room full of people you don't know, it's sometimes hard to make comments like that. Cause you're like, I don't know if this is going to go over well. Like, uh, I'll try and think of an example. Like last night at my gym, I'm, I'm teaching a flower sweep. So like, you know, close guard, reach underneath the leg. Um, and I went to reach underneath my partner's leg and I guess he was wearing some loose shorts. And when I went to scoop the underhook, my arm just went straight up his shorts. Like mm. I didn't get an underhook on the leg. I just went right up the guy's shorts. And you kind of make a joke. You're like, ah, I get an underhook on the leg. Don't reach up his pants. Like I just did, you know, <laughs> let's actually scoop the leg. But if you say that at a seminar, some people might not find that funny they might get a little weird about it, but yeah, so it's kind of just a unique experience, but I really enjoyed it and I would love to do more. Yeah, that's definitely the worst feeling when you uh, make a joke and it doesn't land in front of the whole class. It's like, <laughs> shit, God damn it. 
it, yeah, it's it's always like if you think about it first, like should I say it, should I not, and, and then the, 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 the sorry, the delivery gets all messed up. Um, yeah, I've 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 been there for sure, and especially for me, it's like uh, not very emotive, right? So like people can't always tell when I'm joking or not. So like I make a joke and they think I'm serious, I'm like oh shit, but whatever, it happens all the time, but. <laughs> Yeah, like when it comes to seminars, like one thing that's difficult is like balancing um, like what's going to be what you think is going to be best for the students, but also something that's going to be interesting and exciting for them um, and not boring. Right. So like, you know, you, you don't want to just show like super flashy moves that aren't going to be helpful, but then like teaching like fundamentals um, can can be perceived as like boring where it's like, oh, I already know this, but like it's like, no, like, do you know this? You know, do you know the details are going to make or make or break this, uh, this technique? So like, yeah, that's one thing that I always find difficult because I want to like make it exciting and impress them. And, but also like, you know, give them value where they, they come out of that seminar better at jujitsu. So like, yeah, I try to just teach like mostly things that are, um, like common, like positions and techniques that are, that are commonly uh, like the details aren't perfected that are very uh, there's a lot of nuance to them. So that's one reason I like teaching choke mechanics, but then I always throw in like some cool stuff too, like at least some cool things like rolling back attacks or, you know, like a rolling front headlock, whatever it is, just so they can, um, yeah, learn some cool stuff too. But yeah, it's one thing that's tough to balance. Yeah. That was kind of my approach was like, I'm going to show like relatively basic jujitsu but with purpose like everything i showed was like hey this is why i like like when i take the back i like to trap the top arm because now i have two hands to fight against one and it was like all right here's a couple finishes from there like i assume most of you guys know how to do a rear naked choke uh you know i trap this is how i set it up and then it's like the next move is just okay once i've got this trap what's the guy gonna do like I've trapped his arm. He's only got so many options he's going to do. He's probably going to try and get out of here. He's going to try and put his shoulders to the mat. Well, here's my counter to what most people will do from this position. Just so when you get here, you're ready. Like if you're prepared for someone's counter, you're going to be much more effective from a position. And then at the end, you know, it's like, all right, and here's like just a, a cool move that you can do from here. Maybe it's not the most practical or you're going to put in your game, but like just something to show people like, Hey, I do actually have some cool stuff I can do. It's not just like smothering a dude from Mount. Exactly. Actually, when I was looking for, uh, when I was looking for topics for what, what we're going to, you know, discuss today on Reddit, um, someone posted that they went to a Yuri Samos seminar who's, he's like a high level competitor, a Brazilian dude. And they said that a guy asked to roll with him and he was like, let me teach you some respect. Like he didn't like that. He asked him to roll. I don't know if he felt like it was a challenge or like if, you know, he's more like old school or that's not the quite the good etiquette to ask a black belt to roll, which is stupid. And, uh, yeah. And then Yuri just like proceeded to just like beat the crap out of him and, um, you know, use all this like dirty jujitsu and just like make him, you know, regret asking him and just, giving him so much like pain and whatnot. And then people are like, you know, oh, that's awful, which I agree with. It is awful. But then at the same time, I, I have people argue with me that like dirty jujitsu is fine, which we talked about, you know, last podcast, but it's like, I know they're different people, but that are writing and whatnot, but it's like, which is it, you know, cause I have people argue with me, oh, dirty jujitsu is fine. But then there's people like, oh, you know, Yuri's a dick for doing that. He shouldn't be using like dirty jujitsu on the guy just for asking him to roll. But so like, yeah, I think it just proves my point, which I keep trying to emphasize to uh, the jiu-jitsu community. It's that we don't need to, you know, use dirty jiu-jitsu and go hard on people and just like make their life suffer. We can, um, you know, use clean jiu-jitsu and beat people up gently. That's that's the goal. That's like the ultimate flex. Like I just beat the crap out of you and I didn't make you feel any pain or discomfort, you know, but then, you know, yeah, he did. And uh, not a cool thing to do. Like, yeah, what do you think? What do you guys think about that? I think dirty jujitsu is fine if you're doing it with like somebody you really know well or a really good training partner. Like uh, what I would call dirty jujitsu is being smothered, you know, hand over the mouth. But then I laugh about it afterwards. But if it's some guy that I don't know and he's challenging me from another gym and he's just grinding elbows into my head and trying to smother me, I say that's being a dick. I said it's it's there's a time and place. Yeah, but even then, like, you know, just I think like, I'll, I'll use some dirty jujitsu on you, Mike, for sure. Oh, for like, sure. You know, I'll cover your mouth, whatnot, yeah. right? But like, that's more like dirty techniques, right? But as opposed to like, you know, going like, 
just making your the whole role you suffer and whatnot, right? Because you're not really suffering so much if I'm like going knee on neck or like, which like I'm not going to like grind, you know, completely go hard on it or if I'm going like smother or this and that, right? But like it's it goes beyond just like dirty moves and just like a dirty rolling style where you're just like, yeah, just like grinding the shit out of them and just making them all your weight and just they're like, fuck, I can't take this, right? So there, there there's a distinction even there of like dirty techniques that are, you know, kind of more prison rule techniques you can do on your friends and like actual dirty jiu-jitsu or the whole thing is just like make that person suffer yeah i think there's like there is kind of a time and place for like making people suffer like i know like when we run our competition classes and someone gets top you know like maybe I'll, we're doing a competition class and someone gets side control i'm like hey man you got to make that guy like not have a good time underneath you like if you're competing and the guy on the bottom is not like if he's having a good time and he's not uncomfortable at all, like you got to change something from the top. Like that guy's got to not enjoy his time underneath you. Cause he's got to not want to be there. Uh, but like for the most part, when you're training, like, like you said, like the, you know, prison rules moves and stuff, they're all pretty painless. Like I like smothering people. I think it's fun, but I only do it with like my students. Like at this seminar, when we did the rolling, I just tried to buggy choke everybody because I thought it was funny and no one's going to get hurt. Hey, you guys can pass my guard. I'll let these people go back to their gym and be like, yeah, I passed that black belt's guard. Got buggy choked three times, but I passed his guard three times. I'm like, yeah, that's fun to me. No one got hurt. I'm not going to these things being like, I have to hurt people. Like I want the last thing I want when I roll with people, especially from another gym, even from my own gym though, is to leave with the impression that they don't want to roll with me again because it's not worth it. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. You know, I want people to leave going like, wow, you know, maybe he beat me, but that was a fun role and I would love to do it again. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> That's always the ideal. Like, yeah, because again, it's the ultimate flex of like, um, you didn't need to use dirty jujitsu to, uh, you know, beat them up. And it feels like effortless, you know, for you, uh, to them, like that's, that's how it should be. And, um, to the dirty jujitsu, the prison rules stuff, like it can be annoying for me sometimes. Like I hit a wrist lock on someone at another gym the other day. And like, they're like, you know, they're kind of like smiling at me like, Oh, a wrist lock. I'm like, yeah, you know, prison rules. Ha ha ha. But like in my, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, it's a, it's a wrist lock, you know, just like any other submissions. It's fine. Like it doesn't, it doesn't need the connotation of like uh, prison rules. Like why would you ignore 5% of the body? Right. There's no reason to ignore it. It's just, it's, it's just a toehold of the, of the wrist instead of a toehold, you go to the wrist and yeah. nothing wrong with it. And so it's just like, I shouldn't even have to joke about it. It's like, no, it's fine. We don't need to discuss this. It's, it's a wrist lock. And you know, it's really interesting. Um, Cause I, I like, I like equating like, you know, certain techniques for others or positions. Cause I find it interesting. Like, you know, the wrist lock being the same thing as a, as a toehold. Well, the truck is the exact same thing as the Kimura because the truck you're using your two legs on their one leg, right. And it controls them only with your legs on their one leg. And same with the Kimura, it's your two arms on their one arm. And it's even looped. They're even like looped through the exact same way. And then, also what's important so in a kimura it's elbow position that's important whoever whoever has the dominant elbow position has has the kimura like you can switch who has the kimura by switching the elbow position it's the exact same thing with a truck you switch who has the knee position you switch who has the truck so like i thought that was super cool that's one of my favorite things to do when people try to come at me is just like adjust my elbow position and then Kimura them back. And they're always like, what the hell happened? You're like, Hey man, the counter to your Kimura is for me to Kimura you. You have to maintain that position. Same thing with the truck. You know, people try and get a truck and like rolling back attack and you just kind of change the little angle again, get your knee in the different position. It's like, well, now I'm rolling back attacking you. Man, I love when people try to roll and back attack me because I'm so confident in my ability to uh, re-bolo, like switch the knee position. It's like, thank you. You know, I just, yeah, I just love that. And uh, the Kimura is definitely a little riskier, um, but it's, it, it definitely feels good when you switch, when you switch who has the Kimura. Where it's like, I, I probably wouldn't give someone a Kimura unless I was like messing around, but I might give them the opportunity to try to take my back because I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be gunning to uh, switch the knee position. So yeah, you know, there's like so many, uh, so many like positions like that where they can be equated differently. Like, um, 
like the someone's on Reddit said the crucifix was similar to the Kimura, where it's like you're using your legs to control their arm instead of your arms. But I disagree that because I don't think that's actually the same at all. Because the thing is with the with the crucifix, you control their arm with your legs, but you also need to control their other arm with your arms. Where it's like the Kimura grip, you can control someone's uh, body like them using only the Kimura grip without using the rest of your body. And it's the same thing with uh, the truck. You can control them using only your legs um, where it's like, you don't need other things so much. So like, yeah, I think it's a little bit different, but like these things are like identical. So like, yeah, I don't know. It's like the kind of stuff I, I don't know. I, I spend way too much time thinking about <laughs> things that don't really matter that much, but yeah, um, that's it. It's been an hour. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the discussion. And if anyone is listening that has any, um, knowledge on SIBO and, uh, you know, stomach issues. I'd love to talk to you because I'm trying to learn as much as possible so I can get healthy. And, uh, yeah, cause that's priority right now is to get healthy. So yeah, thank you guys for sticking around till the end of the podcast. If you're still here, please leave a comment or a fist bump and we'll see you guys next time.